0: Turn to John chapter one. John chapter one. We are. We have been going through the text of Handel's Messiah, and we're just working our way through them as they as they come up. And we've come to this part where John one twenty nine is sung. We're using these texts to just anchor our thoughts at this time of the year, give us consideration, give us help in considering our Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done for us, and to think of Him not just in terms of the manger, we have thought about that for sure, but also to think of Him in terms of why He was in a manger, why He came into this world, and the significance of His condescension. So this morning we looked at this text already, so this is kind of a part two. And we looked at uh, some matters relating to this, especially, Behold the Lamb of God. Tonight we will look more upon the second part that taketh away the sin, or which taketh away the sin of the world. But we'll read from verse 19, John 1, verse 19. And so we come to the opening of this tremendous gospel, and it immediately begins to tell us of the, uh, where our Lord Jesus comes on the scene. And the forerunner, John the Baptist, his place in preparing the way and pointing to Jesus Christ. So John 1, verse 19, let's hear the Word of God again from this portion. And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Or Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him, and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you, whom ye know not. He it is, who coming after me, is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, and remaining on him the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw, and bear record, that this is the Son of God. Amen. Again, reading, ending the reading at verse thirty. Let's pray once more, beloved, that seek the Lord, ask Him for His help as we look at His Word. Our gracious God, we are thankful for the entire season that causes us to give particular attention to the Lord Jesus and His coming into the world. We pray that You'll deliver us from a familiarity that causes us not to consider how amazing this is. Sometimes we we fear that our hearts are so cold, they are so familiar with these themes, that it's like it means nothing at all to us. So we pray for the forgiveness we need for our indifference and coldness, for our the trite way in which we treat what the Son of God did. We pray then that we would be given grace to be humble, to consider all that we are taught in the Word concerning our God and the Son who took on flesh and did so that He might die. God can't die, but He takes flesh in order that he might die. We would never do this, but you've done it, and we rejoice in it. So we pray as we give consideration to your Word again at the close of this year and the last Lord's Day message of 2022. Give help, give power, give clarity, and meet with us. We pray around your precious Word. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Growing up in the home of a Levitical priest, John the Baptist would have been well acquainted with the significance of the Old Testament sacrifices. I'm quite sure that it's not too much of a stretch of imagination to see Zechariah instructing John on some of these matters, and indeed, the query that would come, that we're all familiar with, I am sure, from a child that begins to ask, what, what does this mean? Daddy, what are you doing? Why are you going to the temple? What is it that you do there? What, what, what does God mean for us to understand through this in various matters of discussion that relate to the work of the Levitical priesthood? Well, as John may have received such instruction, either from his father or just by being acquainted by such surroundings, he would have been well warned by his father, perhaps, uh, with regard to not following in his dad's footsteps, that that if he had had the opportunity, if Zechariah lived long enough to give instruction to his son, he may have said to him, don't enter into the priesthood, John. I don't know if that discussion happened. We're not given that in Scripture. But I imagine if he had lived long enough, he may have been told that. Because John could have, being of the descent that he was. He could have entered into the priesthood, but he doesn't. And we might ask the question, well, why not? Well, for two reasons his father may have told him not to. First of all, when his father prophesied in Luke chapter 1, verse 76 and following, it says, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. So, John, you don't need to be too concerned with the priesthood because you're a prophet. You're a prophet. And you're a prophet of the highest. You're going to go before the one who has been promised, and you're to give knowledge of salvation. But in addition to that, another reason I might add would be possible in such a discussion is because, well, the one you're leading the way for, the one you're preparing the way for is the Messiah, and He, He's going to put the priesthood out of business, John. So don't waste your time entering into the priesthood when the one you're leading, the one you're preparing the way for, has come to abolish the priesthood. To end it in its current form, it will not need to function once he has finished his work. John, don't waste your time. Don't enter the priesthood. Well, I'm sure not everyone receives such advice. If you're a priest at the time of the Lord Jesus, you would you'd be trying to protect it. It takes many years of preparation, many years of applying yourself to this training, and so you don't easily set it aside. But the reality is that if the priests had understood who was come into their midst, and if they really believed that God had sent His Son to, to be that final priest, that one who actually reconciles God and sinners, then any wise priest would be doing whatever you did. As in terms of the equivalent in the first century, we would look up indeed.com and try to find a new job. Well... Uh, whatever was the equivalent back then, they would look up and say, well, what can I do? How can I apply my skills? Because the Son of God has come to end this. I'm going to end it. I'm going to end the temple worship. I'm going to end all the sacrifices and all the ceremonies because they have fulfilled their purpose. They were all pointing to me, the Son of God, Well, John then begins his ministry, and the message that he brings unsettles the religious leaders. Uh, The verse we began at in verse 19, you can see that. I mean, if you started standing on the street corner and and declaring a message, you would know when the leaders, when, when, when the leaders start sending people to find out who you are and what you're doing, you know you're beginning to rub them up the wrong way, or they're at least curious about what it is you're up to. Because by and large, when men stand on a street, or as John did, stand in the wilderness and start heralding things, mostly people who are in power just ignore them. They're no threat. Just ignore them. But John was bothering people. So we read in verse 19, this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? Now that's a journey. Heading out there into the wilderness to find out what is going on. I put it to you that they felt the threat. They felt the threat of his message. They felt the threat of what was going on. They're trying to figure out what is happening here. And in part, the message that John was bringing implied a promise, and specifically a promise that could not be made by the Jews in leadership. The priests... The Levites could not make the promise that John was making, or at least implying. What is that promise? That your sins are all going to be put away forever. Now, their whole work depended upon the ongoing need of sinners to come to them at regular intervals and offer their sacrifices to come, and to come, and to come, and to return, and keep coming back, to offer their sacrifices. And in John's message, there's this, there's this hint, more than a hint, but within his language, an indication of a promise that is, that is suggesting, that I would say is declaring, sin is going to be put away fully and finally forever. Now, you can ignore that until you realize that multitudes are going out to listen. Then you start figuring to yourself, well, if they start listening to this, by implication then, they're, they're, they're not going to need us. John then was a threat to the status quo. He was declaring a message that the writer to the Hebrews, Paul, brings clearly into view in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 11 where he speaks of every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, the one John's pointing to, the one John says look to, 1 John says, Behold Him! After He had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. The work is done. It is done. So, this morning we looked at the Lamb of God, a portrait. Tonight we're looking at the Lamb of God, a promise. The Lamb of God, a promise. Behold the Lamb of God, verse 29, which taketh away the sin of the world. And again, my intention, just like this morning, is to be relatively brief and to be simple. And I hope that that will be the case. uh, You will be able to walk away and say, well, I know what he was saying. I get it. And I know what I must do with this message. I mean, at the end of the day, what good is a message if you don't have something to do with it? Like if it doesn't resonate and call you to something. So I hope that you go away knowing that this message is calling you to respond. To respond, just as John was declaring all that time ago. So, first, it's Maker. It's Maker. When you look at verse 29 and you read it, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, it's not framed as a promise, but it is implied. John is declaring, going back to this morning's message, not that you need Abel's lamb. Remember Abel's lamb? Genesis chapter 4. Abel had the firstling of his flock, and that had. Clear indications of, of the right approach to God, how a sinner is reconciled to God. But it's not Abel's lamb you need, nor is it Abraham's lamb. We looked at that as well in Genesis 22. It's not that lamb that you need. We're not needing him. We're not needing that lamb or that occasion or whatever. That's, that's not the lamb that we're looking at. Nor do we need Israel's lamb, the Passover lamb, detailed for us in Exodus 12. We'll look again a little more at that in just a moment. But that's not the lamb you need. It is God's lamb that you need. It's the lamb of God. This is the lamb that you must look to and believe on, the lamb of God. If I was to tell you that you could get into heaven by taking an animal and offering that animal as a sacrifice, you probably would do it. Now, things are a little different today. We live in a very sanitized Part of the world. We don't, most of us don't kill our own food and we don't gut it and prepare it and all the rest of it. We don't do it. So the idea of killing something today is almost, you know, most people are like, what? I don't want to do that. Uh, whenever I, I worked in a, in a supermarket many years ago, uh, we, were, we were given clear instruction in the poultry section, not that I, that was my department, but if I ever helped out there, uh, the poultry where all the chickens are. The, the chickens have to be set that way. Don't don't turn them the other way where you can kind of see into the interior of the chicken, or whatever. Turn them the other way. It's more it's aesthetically more pleasing. You wouldn't want to put off the customers by the chickens being faced the wrong way. I mean, that's where we've come to. Make sure the poultry is faced the right way. We're so sanitized, but this is this is a modern thing. This is not this is not. Really, the vast history of humanity, we we are well acquainted acquainted with having our own animals, killing our own animals, and preparing them to eat. And if I said to you, go and prepare something and offer it as a sacrifice, kill it, shed its blood, burn it, and that will reconcile you to God, you you might say, "Well, well, might as well. I mean, what harm can it do? And you go and try it out. But the message I'm declaring to you is is one where you don't have to go away and do something like that. You don't have to go and find a creature and and figure out how to kill it and and how to burn it and all the rest of it. You don't have to do any of that. You have to see that God has already done that in His Son. And we come to this time of the year, our tendency is just to keep Jesus Christ in the nativity scene. And what I said this morning and what I'm saying again tonight is you can't detach the cross from the nativity scene. If you do that, you miss the point. You have to ask, why? Why is He taking on flesh? And I I said it in the prayer. In the prayer, I was given indication of that very reality, that that the reason God becomes man is so that God can do something God can't do. And that is, in the person of His Son, He dies as the God-man, on the cross. God cannot die, but He takes humanity in order to be a sacrifice for sin. Now, this then is what we're being told, that the promise of taking away sin that is in this text is one that God is making. It is one that God is making. This is God's Son. This is God's Lamb, this is God's way of salvation. This is God's answer for your greatest problem. I don't know what problems you have. I mean, we all have problems, don't we? We have challenges, health, economy, employment, family. Many things. So we say that this is a problem in my life right now. But the biggest problem... The ongoing problem of all men is, what about my sin? And this text is telling you in very clear, very easy to understand language, that God has a lamb, and this lamb, this lamb will deal with your sin. He will deal with your sin. So, we have its maker. Secondly, its message What's the message? Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This message of John is one of divine love. And friends, get that into your head. This is not a message of judgment. It's one of love. Now, there is judgment, clearly. God doesn't just ignore judgment. Christ is coming into the world. The Son of God comes into the world because judgment is real. If God could ignore the grounds and need for judgment, then there's no need for His Son to come. He can just whitewash over all the sins of humanity. He just can kind of just paint it all away, pretend it's not there, and say, it's fine. I'll not point out your sins. I'll not make a big deal out of it. Just you live your life And in the end it'll be fine, I'll bring you to heaven to be with me. But that's not that's not it. That's not it. In fact, we know we even if we're not sure about the Bible, if you're here tonight and you're not sure about the Bible, inherently you know that there must be judgment. You know it. You see, you're made in the image of God and you understand there's a sense of right and wrong. So that when someone does wrong, if someone steals from you in a business deal, someone wrongs you in some way, and you go to the court, you stand before that judge, and the judge decides, I'm just going to just pretend like it didn't happen. Just, Just act like it didn't happen. You would be indignant. You'd be mad. This is unjust. This is wrong. You know, you know you have a sense of right and wrong. You know it when you're wronged. So God has been wronged. God has been wronged. You've broken His law. Not just you, all of us, everyone here. We have broken the law of God in ways that perhaps you're not even aware of. And more times than you can count. And it's the same for me. I'm not looking down on you and saying, you're the problem and the preacher doesn't have any sins, or there's nothing that God has to forgive forgiven him. Far from it. I'm here telling you about a message that I myself have availed myself of. I've, I'm depending on this message myself, because I'm a sinner, and I need forgiven. This is a message of love. We sing, don't we? Heal the heaven-born Prince of Peace. heal the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings, mild He lays His glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Now that's all in this message, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. What does it mean to take away? What's that verb indicating there, take away? Well, first of all, it tells us that Jesus lifts sin Jesus lifts sin. He lifts the sin of the world. You ask me, well, what sins can He lift? I tell you, all of them. He's able to lift them all. But preacher, I'm an idolater. Can Jesus lift the sin of my idolatry? I I have worshiped before other gods. I have prayed to others other than the true and living God. I have trusted in myself, and that's a form of idolatry, rather than in Jesus Christ. Can Jesus lift that sin? Yes. In every form. Preacher, I'm a liar. Can Jesus carry my lies? Yes. Yes, He has the strength to do that. He can lift up all your lies. Yes, not just those, those, those ones that you think are white. <laughs> not just those, oh, it, was, it, was, it wasn't a real lie. But, but the, the real dark ones. You know, the ones that you use to get yourself out of trouble, the ones that you use to completely manipulate what's going on, to misdirect. Yes, Christ can carry all those lies. The preacher, I'm a thief. Can Christ carry my, my theft, all, all the guilt of my theft? Yes, yes. Yes, from the, from the pencil you stole at school 30, 40 years ago, He can carry that to whatever form of theft you're guilty of. He can carry it all. The preacher, I'm an adulterer. Can Christ carry my adul- adultery? In all, yes, in all of its forms. All that adultery. And whatever expression, however many times, whether just in mind or actually in practice, Christ can lift such sin. And you could go through all, the, all that the Bible tells us is sin. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. It's your coming short of what God demands or breaking clearly anything that He has forbidden Jesus taught in Matthew 12, 31, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. All manner of sin and blasphemy. Yes, Jesus takes all manner of sin, all manner, all sorts, all kinds, all categories, however you want to list them, whatever name you want to give to them, and however many times you've committed them, He can put His arms around them all, and He can lift them, the countless trillions of, um, you just can't even quantify the sins of men. And he puts his big omnipotent arms around them all and he lifts them. He lifts them. He taketh away the sin of the world. He lifts them up. Oh, you say, but, but, but preacher, that text you quoted, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. What about that one? What about that one? Preacher, maybe I've committed that one. Well, without getting sidetracked, let me just say to you, if you're worried about that one, you haven't committed it. right? People who are guilty of that aren't worried about it. To sin against the Holy Ghost, anyone who's done that has no concern. But if you're concerned, if you're afraid, if you want to be pardoned, you can be. And all your sins, again, Jesus Christ, just take them all. He can lift them. Jesus lifts sin, and also He carries away sin. He taketh away. He doesn't just take it, but He takes it away. He carries away sin. He carries away sin. And so you ask, but what does He do with them, preacher? What does He do with these sins? I say he carries them away. and You would respond, where to? Where does he carry them to? Does he carry them back to my front door and leave them there where I have to climb up over them when I get home? No. Does he hide them under some carpet in my home when I'm cleaning up? I'm going to find them there. Does he put them in in a closet like a skeleton there and someday they're going to be discovered? No. No, he doesn't do that. It's not what he does. He, he carries them away. Where to? Psalm 103. Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west. Yeah, you can't measure that, just, just to make it clear. You can't measure as far as the east is from the west. You can't. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. He carries them so that you can never reach them. He carries them so far that God can't reach them. That's the point. They're being taken away. Taken away. All of them. All of them are taken away. So let us be encouraged by this. We are encouraged. Are No, I am. I'm encouraged. I get to stand up here and tell you you can be forgiven in a way that cannot be measured. Jesus takes away. Another way it's described is in Micah 7, 19, thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And many of you know that the, the, the deepest part of the ocean is deeper than Mount Everest. That is to say, you can put Everest in the deepest part of the ocean and you wouldn't see it poking up above the surface of the sea. That's how deep it is. In other words, he takes all those sins, he puts his arm around all those sins, and he puts them where they can't. Be gotten to. They're gone. They're gone. He carries them away. Behold the Lamb of God, look to the Lamb of God, because He takes them away, takes the sins away. And so you have that wonderful text in Isaiah 43 25 I even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Wow. By religious deed? No. By faith alone. By faith alone. And that's encapsulated in the wonderful language of this text. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Not not copy the Lamb, though there is a place for trying to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Don't get me wrong. But, But you don't follow in His footsteps to save yourself. To be saved. To have your sins carried away. To have this transaction take place in your life. Behold the Lamb of God. Look at the Lamb of God. Trust the Lamb of God. Believe in the Lamb of God. Rest on the Lamb of God. That's all. That's all you have to do. Go back to Exodus 12 again, where we see Israel's, Israel's Lamb in the Passover, the language of, of what God called his people to do, the Jews, as they were endeavoring to be taken away from the world, Egypt typifies the world, Satan typified in Pharaoh and his tyranny upon their soul, and sin, the problem of sin, he's dealing with the problem of sin as well. In Exodus 12, you have the details of the Passover. Now, we looked at some verses of this already this morning. I just want you to notice a couple of things a little later. Go to verse 22. Exodus 12, 22, And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. So you've killed this lamb. you shed its blood. It's in some kind of container. You take hyssop and you dip. You dip the hyssop, into the blood that's in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you should go out at the door of his house until the morning. So this is what you do. You have to shed the blood. You have to shed the blood into a basin. That's the first thing. There's not only the blood shed, there's the blood applied. You take then that hyssop and you dip it in the blood and you begin to apply it to your, your personal home, your property, to the door of where you live. And then there's the blood accepted. Verse 23, The Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when He seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in onto your houses to smite you. So the blood gets accepted. He sees that blood shed. He sees it applied, and He passes over. And it's a wonderful picture of what Jesus Christ is doing for us. And you don't have to read this in. This is in the New Testament. Paul writing in First Corinthians 5, verse 7, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Christ our Passover. So Christ takes on this, 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 this place as the Lamb. This Lamb that these Jews were told to take and have in their home and then kill and shed its blood and apply it to the door of their homes. That Lamb then points to Jesus Christ. And you can't miss the connection when John is standing there preaching before the multitudes and says, friends, behold the Lamb of God and see what He does. He takes away the sin of the world. He is calling them to believe on this one. Oh, the Jew, the Jew would take that lamb and apply the blood, but I mean, they knew that, that, that blood that was just the blood of an animal. It couldn't actually do anything. What was it though? But it was—it was—it was a symbol. It was—it was—it was a mark. It was proof that they were believing God. That's what they were doing. They were believing God in His word, and so those Jews would take that. They'd take that blood and apply it. And they're thinking, "How oh, this—this is this is just an animal. It can't take away sin. Or it can't—it can't cause judgment to pass over. But but we obey here, and we believe God. We believe God. He will." over. That's, that's what he said he will do. And so, so John now is preaching and saying, here, you want God's judgment to pass over you? Look at the Lamb. Believe on the Lamb. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Finally, it's magnitude. It's magnitude. Go back to John 1. I want you to see the magnitude here of this promise that is contained or implied in this text. Behold, the Lamb of God Which taketh away the sin of the world. The sin of the world. Yes, not just you, Jews. No, 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 no. No, no. This is going to deal with the problem that is found across the world. Because we're all of one blood, friends. We're all of one blood. We're all stemming from the same parents. All right? Doesn't matter what you look like or what your lineage is or what your nationality might be, we all come from the same parents. And the problem then is uniformly the same across all of humanity. And John is saying the answer to all the problems in the world, like the real problems in the world, is found in this land, the Lamb of God. The answer. Because the real problem stems from our disobedience and rebellion against God. And that's the big problem. Look, look, you say, oh, look at the political problems of America. Look at it. What is it? It's a sin problem, friend. It's a sin problem. Or you look at whatever else is going on in your place of employment and you're upset at what your boss is doing or what your colleague is doing or whatever else is going on. If it's a real, if it's a real issue, not just imagined in your head, if it's a real, it's a sin problem. It's a sin. Even if they're, they're not doing anything wrong, but you think they're doing something wrong, it's still a sin problem, only this time the sin's in you, not in them. It's always a sin problem. And we can't escape it. We can't escape it. We wake up in the morning, it's staring us in the face. We're constantly faced with this reality of sin. And this good preacher, this one sent of God, this one called to be a forerunner, whose name was John, the prophet of the highest. He stands before the multitude and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. All the magnitude of this mission that he is on, he's going to take all the sin of all those who trust in him. All of the sin. Oh yes, are there murderers found in there? Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, there are murderers found in that group. You say, really? Really, there are murderers? Absolutely. You can't even get to the end of the Bible before you find them. Yes, Saul of Tarsus, he was guilty. He was guilty. The thief on the cross, he was all up to all sorts of, of bad, badness in his life. And he also found mercy at the hand of Jesus Christ. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And the reply was unequivocal today. Thou shalt be with me in paradise. So this is what the Lord Jesus is in the business of doing. Taking the sin of the world. Taking it away. The sin of the world. Does that not include you? I mean, is there not not in that all the hope you need that God will forgive you? Before we close, turn to Revelation 7. Revelation chapter 7. Go to the end of your Bible. Revelation chapter 7, the last book of God's Word. Revelation 7, read a few verses here. Revelation 7, verse 9, is where we want to begin. And John's given visions, he sees things. And these visions that he relays to us help us understand all that is going on and will yet happen. Revelation 7, 9, after this I beheld... And lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, there's the world, He just put in the world, right? You can put the world in there, stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, clothed with white robes. I'll tell you, you're going to stand before God, you want to stand in white garments, Right? those are the garments you want to be found in not garments that are tarnished by your own sin yes mean what are you going to do with all your past even if you said tonight I'm going to change my life you can't delete the past you can't just say God could you please just turn a blind eye to that no but there is provision there is an answer there is hope And you can see how these people came to understand it and experience it. Go to verse 13. Just skipping down a few verses. Verse 13. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see the message of the Lamb again? It's the blood of the Lamb. That's what cleanses, friend. It's the blood of God's Lamb. And so we see that infant born in a manger in lowly estate, And for 30 years, he waits patiently applying God's Word to every area of his life, obeying in the way you can't obey. And finally, he takes on the responsibility, the ministry of his life. About three years or so, Ministering to men, preaching and performing miracles and giving proof upon proof upon proof, this is the Son of God. And it was it couldn't be denied. It couldn't be denied. No one, no one could deny it. What was going on was something the world had never seen before, on a degree to a level that no one had ever seen or even heard of before. And he does all of this, and people follow him and listen to him, and then finally. Finally, while many of them were desiring, go and take a throne. Oh, we'd love you to be on a throne and rule over Israel and conquer the Romans. We'd love that. Instead, he said, no, 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 no. No, you see, because that won't deal with the problem. That won't deal with the problem of your sin. I first, before I can take a throne, I need to die. I need to pay, pay. What your sins deserve, I need to pay for it in full. Satisfy the just demands of God's holy law. When I've done that and satisfied it, I'll rise again from the dead. And from there I will ascend to heaven and occupy a throne. And there will be no question. I have finished the work. And my friend, that is what he did. That is what he did. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Oh, he takes away my sin. Praise his name. Yes. Preacher, have you sinned in 2022? Ask my wife. Yes. I have sinned in 2022. Maybe you've even seen some of it. But the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth me from all sin, and it's sufficient to cleanse you too. So what are you going to do? Believe. Turn from your sin and believe. Acknowledge your sin and believe God's Son is sufficient. He's all you need. Not Jesus plus church, not Jesus plus works of your own doing, Jesus plus any. No, no, just Jesus, only Jesus. He doesn't need your contribution, He doesn't need your help. The Lamb of God takes the sin of the world, He pays the price. And He can put it away. He has put it away by the sacrifice of Himself. Believe on Him. Believe this night. And you can go home and begin a new year with a new heart, a new life, and a whole new perspective of how to see why you're in this world and what you are called to do. May God help you. Let's bow together in prayer. In just a moment, we'll leave from here. You'll, I'd love to see you downstairs at the fellowship. Join for a time together in our fellowship hall. But if you're not saved, if your sins are not forgiven, I call upon you to seek the Lord while He may be found. And He may be found now. You don't know if you'll find Him tomorrow. You don't know if you'll find Him in 2023. But you can find them here and now. And if you need any help, please let us know. We'll be glad to open the Word of God and talk with you and answer your questions. And no pressure, but try to help you understand that it is vital that you come to Christ. Lord, we are thankful for Thy Word and the clarity of this great message and sermon that John the Baptist preached. It has been the means of salvation and encouragement to your people through the ages, and it still is tonight. I'm so thankful for the plainness of its message and the encouragement that it is to me, and I need to hear it over and over and over again. God, I pray for those here tonight. I pray that your people will find encouragement in this message. Those especially who are backslidden, who know they have gotten away from God, who are cold, and they need to know that all the reasons for their distance from God can be forgiven, and they can begin again. They can start over. They can keep coming, knowing that you will receive the humble and the contrite and the penitent. Those who are not saved, God, draw them. Open their eyes. Give them the understanding they need that all they need is Jesus Christ. So bless our fellowship together. Be with us downstairs and go, to us, go with us to our homes and grant again that this last week we'll enjoy your presence and live for your glory and enter into a new year uh, with all the promises of God building us up and strengthening us that we might serve thee, our King. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever.